Brought to you by JMR Rentals, professional digital cinema and broadcast equipment rentals in Brooklyn, New York. JMRNY.com. Hello and welcome to No Rest of the Weekend, where we go behind the scenes and talk to the creators of independent entertainment. I'm Jason Godby, and joining me via Zoom today, she is the creator of the award-winning web series, Shakespeare Republic, All the Webs a Stage, Miss Sally McLean. Welcome, Sally. Hi, Jason. Lovely to be here. Thank you for having me on the show. Thank you for uh, joining us you, uh, all the way from down under. Uh, you're in uh, Australia. I am indeed. I'm in Melbourne. Shout out to Melbourne. So technically you're in the future. Ah, yes, I am. I am. And do things get better is what I'm asking. It does. It's a lovely blue sky out there. <laughs> no clouds, no rain. It's it's yeah, things are looking good for, for tomorrow. I I will take whatever I'll take whatever hope I can get at this point. Um Last year, last year was a hell of a year. You have this show that went to NYC WebFest, which is how we met. We met through Lauren Atkins, uh, who's also been on the show. You guys should check her out and check out NYC WebFest. I want to talk to you about your series about Shakespeare Republic, but I want to talk to you first about you. So uh, how did you get into this, uh, this conflagration of, of show business? How, how did... How did you manage to uh, get into this mess? What is your origin story? <laughs> what is my origin story? Right. Well, uh, essentially, I had pretty much from the age of four decided I wanted to be an actor. So I was one of those ones that got very one-eyed and went, nope, actor, actor, actor. It moved to journalist. It moved to author. It came back to actor. Um, and actually, one of my biggest influences was uh, the American entertainer Tommy Hanlon Jr., who was a friend of my grandmother's who moved to Australia to host shows on television here. Um, and I just thought everyone grew up with an American friend of the family who was on television. Of course, that's not obviously the truth of it but um Tommy was great at Uncle Tommy as I used to call him and Auntie Murphy his lovely wife um I used to uh say things you know I'd, I'd want to do the show the play at Christmas for example with all the nieces and you know all my cousins all their nieces and nephews of, of the family and he was the one who encouraged me to do it and he also happened to run a circus which is kind of odd as he yeah I know he kind of he was still doing the odd tv gig but then he decided he wanted to own a circus so uh, he was the ringmaster, but also the clown, one of the clowns. And I remember he said, oh, look, you can come and hang out. I must have been about eight or nine. You can come and hang out backstage if you want on a performance. And I saw him put his makeup on. And Tommy was an incredibly reserved, quiet, gentle, lovely man. And then he put this makeup on and became this kind of over-the-top clown. And I just went, oh, yeah, that job's for me. I, <laughs> I love that you can transform like that. So I started as an actor, therefore. Um, and went through, did various uh, gigs as a teenager here and there on screen and then decided it was time to train. So I went and trained in London at the Actors Institute um, as a young adult and uh, graduated from there. And it was through that training that I then, they were saying basically, look, you know, it's great you want to be an actor. Uh, there are going to be a lot of you out there in the industry and maybe you should also look at creating your own work. 
And so they did a whole unit at drama school about writing and directing and creating your own work. And I'd never really thought about that before until doing that. Uh, but then when I graduated from drama school, um, I had also been working for BBC in production. Um, and I saw the two very, very, dis very differently. I saw production was one thing and just paid the bills. And acting was the thing I wanted to do that would eventually pay the bills to realize that I could take both sides of my uh, skill set and put them together and create my own work was quite a revelation. So I did have the, the benefit of learning uh, the production side of things from some of the best people in the business in England at the BBC uh, prior to going to drama school. And then after I returned to work for the BBC because, you know, the phone didn't ring off the hook, unfortunately, upon graduation. Um, but that was as a result of that, plus getting these skills to create my own work. I wrote my first film, which was Little Rain Must Fall, and produced that and acted in that in London. And the rest, as they say, is history. I have since then, uh, I still act. I still, you know, do, do uh, acting jobs when they come up. And I also write and direct and produce. And uh, so it's, yeah, I'm kind of grateful, actually, that I get to do all of it because I do see all sides of the, of the equation when working. But it also means I get to be creative in very different ways um, at any given time. So that's kind of my background. I started as an actor, got introduced, you know, just through needing to earn money uh, and learning from the best, thankfully, at the BBC, and then did a course where they went, great, married the two things together, and that's how you're going to have a career. And uh, so here I am, still <laughs> still doing all the things, but, yeah, loving every second of it. And, and you know, ultimately, all of those things are still, they're storytelling, and we're storytellers, uh, whatever side of the camera we sit on. So, uh, yeah, that's my origin story and my background. So this project, uh, the Shakespeare Project, Shakespeare Republic, well, first of all, for people who haven't seen it, uh, tell me about like give me like a, a log line like the Hollywood uh, the Hollywood description of it and then uh, we can we can talk more about how you kind of did it. Oh my goodness, right <clears throat> the elevator pitch. All right, so uh, Shakespeare Republic takes Shakespeare's works as written and places them firmly in the 21st century. We do what is called bite-sized Shakespeare. They are the monologues of uh, various well-known and lesser well-known characters from Shakespeare's canon that we meet in modern life. That was really good. You've oh, you've you. definitely polished that. Um, and let me ask you, so in terms of how it came about, was this done, was this born out of COVID? Was this born out of that or was this before then? It was actually started, this series began in, in 2015. So um, I got the idea for it, funnily enough, um, just finishing my work at the BBC um, and doing my first film. And I was actually um, my honorary patron um, in, in England, much like in Shakespeare's time, um, when you were an independent company that was sort of emerging, uh, there was, you, you'd reach out to people that were bit higher profile in the business and ask if they would become an honorary patron for the work that you were doing. And it was really done to help open doors and also as someone who could mentor you. So uh, someone suggested to me that I do that and I reached out to a few people and the person who said yes was Sir Nigel Hawthorne, uh, who played Humphrey, Sir Humphrey Appleby in Yes Minister uh, and is an Oscar nominee uh, for his work in King George and uh, just a brilliant human who was an actor and also a producer. So also a member of the Royal Shakespeare Company. And I had said to him um, that basically 
I give further backstory. I grew up hating Shakespeare. I did not like Shakespeare. I'd never, I never do, I, I vowed I would never do Shakespeare. And it's because I'm mildly dyslexic. And so my introduction to Shakespeare was English class with read this Romeo, Romeo and Juliet passage out cold, you know, hello. That's the most terrifying thing to anyone, let alone when you're also mildly dyslexic. So I hated Shakespeare. And then I went to drama school and had an amazing Shakespeare teacher that totally flipped me around. And I became, as I call it, a born again Shakespeare fanatic. So, you know, you want to go spread the word. Anyway, I was talking to Nigel about it and saying, look, I really love the idea of doing bite-sized Shakespeare, of giving people an entry-level kind of uh, opening to get into the work. So instead of going to see a full play, you just see a monologue and hopefully done in such a way that it would intrigue people to go, I want to know more about this character or the play that this is from or even just Shakespeare's works in general. And Nigel was saying, well, that's a great idea, but there's just no forum for it. And, and there really wasn't. I mean, this is pre-web series um, really taking off. You, did, you had to get picked up by a broadcaster. Nobody was going to pick up, you know, five-minute episodes at that point. So it kind of got shelved and then come to 2015 and I was working on a feature documentary, uh, which I'm also directing. And uh, I was just getting a bit burnt out and, and it was a case of going, I just want to do something different because I need a mental break from this. And I suddenly thought, oh my goodness, that Shakespeare idea is still sitting on the shelf. Let's pull that down and have a look at it and see if it'll work. And so Shakespeare Republic was born. So it began with six actors, um, no money. <laughs> six actors just an experiment let's see what happens and if that was season one season two grew and that, that was filming different locations ad hoc on the weekend um you know basically borrowing equipment and people and all the rest of it and then the next season was season two which was 13 actors and we decided that we kind of liked the way the format was working and I said all right we're going to up the ante so that went from six to 13 episodes we suddenly shot on a red camera we had cinemascope um uh, for the for the broadcast uh, we shot in 4k which <laughs> people are like it's a web series what are you doing like I don't care I want to make it look good and we shot over four different locations so it's very became very high end so that was sort of where we were headed with with the series the third season was going to be even more ambitious and then COVID-19 hit and there was a big kind of, what do we do now? Um, we had a couple of other projects that were supposed to go ahead. I, my production company is Incognita Enterprises. We do lots of things, not just Shakespeare. And uh, we had a couple other things and they had to be put on hold. And all of a sudden Melbourne was in lockdown. Um, and so obviously the rest of the world was in lockdown and we just went, what do we do? And I said, well, you know what? The format for Shakespeare Republic that previously has existed could be adapted for COVID. And not just adapted for COVID, but instead of only being able to work with actors who are local to us, now we could throw it open to all these international actors that we haven't had a chance to work with. And there were so many people around the place. I mean, I've travelled uh, through, uh, lived in England for quite a while, travelled, you know, over to New York and, and parts of America. Uh, obviously, in the web series world, I know so many people now um, from the festival circuit too and the work they're doing. So I knew there were a lot of people out there and people had constantly said, if you're ever shooting in America, you know, give me a call. So I suddenly thought, well, why don't I just give them a call now and say, let's do this. Only we're going to do it through the medium of the internet. We'll do it through Zoom rehearsals. You know, I will direct you. This will be my nest, <laughs> my little director's nest. While you're filming yourself on a smartphone, I'll direct you through Zoom. 
Um, and that's kind of how All the Web's the Stage came to be, which was the third season. Uh, and so it went from 13 episodes to 24, because why not? With actors, you know, basically majority of actors are based in uh, the UK, uh, USA and Australia. Um, and yeah, all different time zones, all different, all different takes on, on what we were doing. But yeah, 24 different speeches from Shakespeare's plays done by actors based all over the world and put very firmly in COVID. And so that was what we did. We took Shakespeare's characters and put them in lockdown and had a look and, you know, how does that text work in that situation? And, you know, we've been very, very lucky with the actors that we got as well. We had people that, you know, broke Globe Theatre ensemble members, uh, people that have worked in New York, Shakespeare in the Park and Central Park. We've had people that have, you know, also so many people have got the mainstream film and TV credits um, around the world. All actors that wanted to be doing something because so many of us, as you know, were just looking at ourselves going what do we do now and when on earth is this going to end so that we were lucky with the cast as well and it was yeah it was an amazing experience exhausting <laughs> but amazing do you select the monologues do the actors select the monologues is it uh is there a plan like are you trying to tell uh, i know it's an anthology but are you trying to is there an overall arching story arc where the monologues sort of go together and and tell an overall story or is it just snippets kind of thing for this season very much just snippets um season two which was called love the bard hashtag love the bard uh was a kind of interconnected season in the sense that these characters all inhabited clearly the same world in the sense they were in the same kind of location just different parts of that location some of the characters also crossed over into other characters episodes so you'd see them walk by the camera or they'd have an interaction non-verbal um together so i was that's what i was starting to do was starting to make it more cohesive with all the webs the stage season three with covid uh what we really wanted, what I really wanted to do was create a mosaic of the human experience in 2020. So the episodes are connected in the sense that all the characters are going through different things that we've all gone through in lockdowns, in you know, dealing with COVID restrictions. We had the theme that every single episode, somewhere in the episode, there's masks. There's a mask of some description. Um, we also have, uh, we do have, you know, we do have characters from the same play, but they don't necessarily interact. And it's more about the fact, I guess, we were showing that with COVID, we were all separated. Uh, so these people are all separated, yet they're connected by their experience. So that's the kind of vibe of what season three became. It really wanted to reflect what was going on in the world at that time. And the fact that, yeah, we were all dealing with that, that concept of separation. Even talking like this on Zoom, we're still kind of separated. So, um, but, we're, but, but we were together in that experience. So it was, it was saying you're not really alone. You might look alone, but you're not. We're all going through this. We all relate to this. And did the monologues themselves have that theme about, you know, kind of uh, being separated or being isolated? It was interesting, yeah. And to, sorry, to further answer that question of, about how did the monologues get selected, I had a list of monologues that I knew would relate to COVID and to the situation. Uh, but it was also thrown open to the actors to say, is there a monologue in particular that you always wanted to look at? Which is the usual question I ask all my cast whenever we're doing this series. Is there a monologue you've always wanted to do or is there a character you've always wanted to play? Um, I'm never attached to gender, uh, to race, to uh, any of that stuff. It's diverse as, as, as it can be. I have had now three female Hamlets. Um, I, I myself have played, you know, Lord M from the Scottish play in this current season. Uh, I have had a beautiful actor here in Melbourne play Queen Margaret, who's a lovely uh, 
voice teacher who is in his 70s. Um, so I don't I don't get attached to that. It's I'm interested actually in in characters being played by actors that you might not normally see cast in that role because I think we hear the text differently uh, when that happens. So it was a mix, therefore, of some actors saying, I'm not really sure what I want to do. Can you suggest something? And other actors coming to me and saying, actually, I really want to do this. Can I do this? Um, and it was always looked at through the lens of, well, does this make sense in the COVID setting? You know, if, if, I'm not about to do a speech that that has zero to do with, with COVID-19 around the world because that was the theme of the series. But it was interesting to see how certain speeches um, ended up fitting into that theme. I mean, we have one character, which is Henry the Sixth, uh, sorry, Henry the Fourth, who um, is a police commissioner, who does the uneasy lies the head that wears a crown speech, and of course, it was also reflecting things that were going on in the world, uh, not just COVID. So. Every episode starts with a newsreader in iambic pentameter giving a snippet of news from that month, from wherever the actor was based or wherever the scene was based. So something from America, something from England, something from Australia, wherever they were, um, which I, I wrote, which was crazy. Uh, but, you know, but it, it was started with one and then it was like, actually, that really works as a way to set the scene. So we did cover things like the Black Lives Matter stuff. That, that was definitely talked about. Um, we covered things like, you know, the defunding the police that was going on in the US at the time, the calls for that. Um, but also in Australia, you know, we had issues too because we had mandatory mask wearing. We had people that were demonstrating here. And that particular actor is based here in Melbourne. And so it was just talking about the fact that, you know, in his case, there was such a weight on his shoulders and they were getting labelled, as a lot of police forces were, uh, as being, you know, not helpful or whatever at the time because of the Black Lives Matter stuff. And yet they were saying, we personally haven't done anything. We're just trying to keep people safe. So it was a, it was, it was interesting to see how certain speeches that you might look at at first blush go, oh, I don't know if that works. But then when you suddenly put the character in the, in the correct profession, you know, in the correct circumstance, it was like, oh, actually, that does work for the COVID situation or the world situation right now. So it was, it was, a, it was a mosaic. That's how I described this last season. It was definitely a mosaic of human, human experience. One, one thing I was curious about, because a lot of people have done um, movies via Zoom or they've done like movies in isolation I made a film in isolation and then did a making of to show people like basically how you can make a, a movie in one room with the stuff you have. What I'm always can, like curious about is the logistics of everything. So like, can you give me like a, a breakdown of the workflow? Like, how does it go? Like once you get, okay, so we got this actor who's doing this monologue, um, you rehearse via Zoom, right? And then what? what, can you walk me through like the process a little bit? Obviously, I'm dealing with actors. Some were also filmmakers, so that was incredibly helpful because they understood cameras and lighting and all that stuff, but not all of them were, and that's okay, and I knew that going into it. So there's a 35-page technical Bible that I built uh, for the actors that tells them how to light, how to set up the camera shots, how to build their own tripod if they didn't have one. And we had a couple that didn't, so you can build one out of newspaper. I learned this. Thank you, YouTube. Um you know, how to how to frame a shot. Also, um, you know, how to also use their, their camera. All, most of these actors shot their episodes on their smartphone. So, the, and again, that's great, but not all smartphones are built the same and, and, and are the same quality. So, you know, how to get the best quality out of your smartphone. Uh, things such as 
production design, um, things such as wardrobe choices. I mean, this this Bible went, you know, yeah, 35 pages. Uh, so that was a PDF download. And that's what all the actors, as soon as they were cast, and I cast them in four waves so that I had time to do the um, integration into the system for each one of them as to how to do this. So they all got sent that link. Um, obviously, we then had the Zoom rehearsal room set up, which they all very quickly had adjusted to anyway. I mean, we started rehearsals in, it would have been May. Um, I started casting in March. We would have started to rehearse in May. So by then, Zoom had already become a thing. Um, and then we rehearsed on Zoom. And then, of course, also this technical Bible would cover how to do the filming part because what we did would be have them set up their smartphone on the tripod um, ready to go and then put me on a laptop or a tablet or whatever on Zoom. So that was the whole thing about how do I see the camera so that I can actually direct you. So we sometimes had me watching the camera, the actual feed. Some of them had worked out how to do a wireless feed to their laptops or, or to their, their standard uh, desktop computer or whatever, which was amazing. Not everyone did. And so quite often it was directing them watching I, they put the laptop where I could just see the screen of the smartphone here and then them in real life behind it. So that's how it got directed. And that meant that also I was there to help with any technical problems such as a lighting issue or there was a sound problem or, or whatever it might be. Um, we also had sound as one of the things in the tech Bible. So that was kind of, it was kind of, everyone did a crash course, I guess, on filmmaking at home. Um, and all of them were amazing and, and came up and some of them came up with brilliant stuff that I, you know, just, they, they got excited and went, oh, actually, I could do this. I had one actor who was filming, and obviously a few were filming outside in their back gardens and things because the weather at that time in the Northern Hemisphere was not so awful. It was summer. Um, so one person, suddenly I see this, I, I, I hate the term, but it's the term, the dead cat of the, of the um, over the microphone. And I'm like, where did you get that from? Because I knew that he wasn't a filmmaker. And he said, oh, it's my wife's fairy headband. <laughs> I just wrapped it around the microphone. <gasps> And it was amazing because it cut out the wind noise, you know. So that was, a lot of it was just inventing on the fly as well. But that's kind of how it worked. I mean, I, I sat down with um, my cinematographer, Sean Herbertson, who normally is the one that films everything for me. And we had a quick chat about what do I need to tell the actors um, from a camera perspective. I had my sound editor also working with me. So when we got to post, so, so Tim uh, McCormick, who would then, who said to me, just ask the actors to do A, B and C so that when I'm getting the sound, I'm actually not going to have to do a whole lot of cleaning up. So, you know, that was also my team members that are normally involved in this that weren't necessarily on the ground as crew this time were also involved. And so once all that was done, they'd upload everything onto a Dropbox folder, um, which we had Dropbox and, and had, you know, as any file transfer service that they could use, but we used that one um, predominantly. And that was what all the post-production pipeline was put through there. So my, um, I would edit because I'm also an editor. So I would edit all the episodes and then my colorist and online editor, Thanasi Panagiotaris would take um, all the files once I sent him an email going, they're done, go and have a look. He'd pull them down and then Tim would do the same as the sound editor. So those guys would then put that together and then uh, Thanasi would put the whole lot together re-upload that back onto the file sharing service and I'd have a look at it and yay or nay and if it was a yay then great it was ready to go and, and lined up to be released so um that's how we did it none of us were in the room at the same time but you know anyone who did anything last year generally hasn't been in the same room at the same time I, I have edited self-tape footage before I've dealt with some and the hardest thing is to get uh, the color right is to get a uniform look 
Uh, was there anything that you did in particular to get, because you want the, you want them all to look the same. Did you guys, what did you guys do for that? Was there any kind of like magic formula for that? Or was it your colors just struggling with every bit of video they had. We had exactly that problem of the fact that, because again, as, we, as I was saying, not every smartphone is made equal. And um, and in some cases people were actually, I think we had two actors actually shooting on cameras, which was kind of unfair advantage. Like, well, that looks really good <laughs> compared to the smartphone footage. Although to be honest, smartphones are amazing as far as their quality goes now, if it's a current modern smartphone. Um, so yes, big conversations with Thanasi about that because uh, you know I kind of uploaded to him the first two episodes and that had been filmed, and he looked at them and went, "I am going to be spending hours here." And again, you know, this was being done as something to keep us occupied. We do have a Patreon, but you know, they weren't getting paid what their what their value is. And so I kind of said to him, "Right, well, we're not going to. I don't think we should struggle with that. We're going to find different lighting conditions." you know, different cameras, all the rest, that's going to drive us crazy. Um, and so I said, let me think about it. So I went away and I suddenly thought, okay, the thing that will solve all our problems, which is number one, the colouring issue, but number two, how to make this season stand out from the other seasons because it's been done so differently to how we've done the other seasons is we just go black and white. And also it feeds it. So it, it became a technical decision, but also an artistic decision because we, as, a, as I said to the team, we are capturing history in a way. This is historical. You know, we're living through history. These characters come from history and now they're living through another history, the way that we are putting them on the screen. They're going through another part of history. So that idea of giving it an archive feel um, it also meant that any stock footage that we used of uh, cities and things to sort of set the tone, which we did, there was some drone footage and stuff that we, we actually acquired from stock footage just to set tone so we knew what city we were in and what country. That meant that we didn't have to struggle with that for the colour grade if that was also black and white. Like it all just suddenly made sense. And I'm really glad that the team went with me on that and said, yeah, we like that idea, let's do it, because it certainly made the process so much easier. So Thanasi created a grade, uh, obviously a general grade uh, for the black and white that he would then tweak as he required as required for each episode. And that's what gave it a little bit more of a uniform look and also then made all these characters also feel like, again, they were inhabiting the same world. What is the plan right now for the show? and where can people find it? It's uh, available online. It's on the festival circuit. So we'll just see what happens with that going forward. Um, there is conversation about finding a home for it, potentially with a broadcaster or a streamer. Um, there are a couple here in Australia and, and a couple overseas. Um, now that it's kind of had, we, we wanted to make sure it was freely available from the get-go for everybody because it was such a time-sensitive project. Uh, but now we're like, well, you know, we're happy to, to put that somewhere with a broadcaster if someone wants to pick it up. Um, and run with it uh, but it can be found the easiest thing to do is go to the website which is dedicated just to this season which is all the webs stage.com uh, but the whole series in in total the three seasons is available on shakespearerepublic.com and that's all we got for you today thanks so much for taking this trip down the rabbit hole for more of our content including our movie reviews visit our website no rest for the weekend podcast.com don't forget to like, rate, and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And now you can follow us on Instagram. So follow No Rest for the Weekend on Instagram. We'll have posts there and updates. Once again, I'd like to thank my guest, Sally McLean, and our sponsor, JMR Rentals. 
For Behind the Rabbit Productions, I'm Jason Godby. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time. Mm -hmm.